Hi, my name is Elizabeth Agabi. I'm the founder of Four Working Ladies, a platform for entrepreneurial and career-driven women. I'm on a mission to speak to like-minded businesswomen to get the inside story on their secret to success. And you're listening to our podcast, How I Made It Happen. Fashion rental services are suddenly everywhere, but are we ready for them? Borrowing a clothing item from your sister, your best friend, or even your mum is a tad bit normal. Something we as women are maybe used to. But how do we feel about renting clothing items from a stranger, wearing it out and then sending it back? A concept that we might not all be used to. But Her Collective, the UK's first peer-to-peer wardrobe rental platform, wants to change that. And today I'm speaking to the co-founder, Victoria Prue. Forbes describes her as the Airbnb of fashion. And despite people not being used to renting clothes, since their launch in March 2019, they can now boast of over 10,000 subscribers to the platform. This month, they also launched the UK's first fashion rental pop-up in Belgravia, which will be open between now and mid-December. Her is not only encouraging consumers to move away from fast fashion, but they are also empowering you to start a profitable side hustle. Some lenders are making over £500 per month by renting their wardrobes. They have been featured in both local and international press, such as The Business of Fashion, The Financial Times, and most recently won the London Luxury Think Tank Sustainable Startup Award. In this podcast episode, we discuss how to start a tech platform without a tech background, the importance of getting traction before going to investors, and lastly, why sustainable fashion is more than just a trend. I hope you enjoy the show, and if you do, please do leave a review and a rating. Here is Victoria Peru. As an undergrad, I studied business and English literature, um, which is where I co-founded my first tech company. Um, It was actually part of an entrepreneurship module that was actually more hands-on. So it was all about setting up a business that we did for a year and it ended up doing quite well. Um, It was just three students, so me and two guys, we set up a key fob, a wireless key fob that would save your electricity. Um, And we ran it for a year and it ended up doing quite well. We actually raised money to receive funding to do it and kind of planted that entrepreneurial seed really early on. But... I then decided to go, I'd spent all of my holidays and my kind of summers interning in real estate. I tried loads of different industries, um, finance, wealth management, interior design. I tried absolutely everything and decided that real estate was really what I wanted to do. Um, So I then went on to do a master's um, and MSc in real estate. um, And then I trained for three years at a large kind of corporate brokerage firm um, where I was basically um, buying, selling and letting investment offices in London. It was an amazing time of my life spent and um, well basically had an amazing time training up um, and I passed uh, basically the big professional exams that you sit called um, the APC which makes you a chartered surveyor if you pass. So I sat those exams, managed to pass my professional exams and then handed in my notice the next day to co-found what is now her. Um, so it was something that I had kind of bubbling uh, under the surface um, but I wasn't ready to jump ship and it was really important to me that I had a kind of professional qualification to fall back on just in case my my entrepreneurial endeavours didn't work out or, um, you know, to be seen as credible as an entrepreneur, I thought it was a good, a good idea to have a, a decent professional standing. 
And at what point of time in your career did her come about as an idea? I get asked this a lot, actually. It's really interesting. People, I think, assume when, you, when you're when you in the fashion industry that you, that you come at it from a fashion point of view. But actually, my co-founder and I, our real passion lies on, on the tech side of things. Um, and we had really watched the sharing economy and how it's impacted all areas of, of our lives. You know, they call us generation rent for a reason. People don't don't prize owning a house they don't prize owning a a a car um and we've obviously seen this massive rise of uber and airbnb just completely transform how we consume and how we live our lives um so we wanted to be part of that and we started looking at, at, at the kind of ideas in the sharing economy space and landed on fashion and the more research we did and understanding that fashion is one of the most polluting industries in the world we were like okay i think if we could get the sharing economy and fashion model right we could be on to something huge. And what was it that drove you to create this particular platform? Was it really just finding out that this is where the gap is and fashion and tech work best together? Or was there something that, like some sort of problem that you felt needed to be sorted with fashion? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, so my view was we live in a time where we want access to things without having to own own things. Um, we've seen this massive pushback against fast fashion that, you know, sustainable fashion didn't didn't exist and definitely was not in the mainstream when we when we started this. But we we saw this massive movement beginning to rumble and we were like, OK, this is really interesting. Finally, people are waking up to what's been going on in the fashion industry. Um, but at the same time, people love newness. And the reason fast fashion exists is because people crave that feeling of newness. Um, so off the back of that, we looked at, at rental models more generally and Rent the Runway, who are the biggest um, player in, in the US market. They're a billion dollar companies, so uh, are doing pretty well. But um, they have a slightly different model to us where they actually buy stock and then rent it to the consumer. So we didn't want to build another Rent the Runway. Um, we wanted to build something that was um, was in the rental space, but that had a different value proposition to the user and actually allowed the user to monetize their own wardrobe. Mm-hmm. So that's the reason why we went down the kind of peer-to-peer v- view. So we're a tech company, a bit like Airbnb, we sit above the process and we connect lenders and renters in exactly the same way that Airbnb do. And so how exactly does it work? If I'm a customer and I want to use your platform, how does it work from from the customer point of view and then how does it work from the seller point of view? So you can log on to our site, you register on, on her um, and you can upload an item in under 90 seconds. So a bit like you listing your flat or your house on Airbnb, you would list uh, your dress or your item of clothing Um uh, renters can then make rental requests um, and there are three different options in terms of the logistics either people can meet up in person and a high percentage of our London users do actually meet up in person and swap dresses in a coffee shop um, the vast majority goes through traditional post as as most things do um, and then we have a green e- eco-friendly green courier service that operates in London as well um, so a bit like Airbnb you submit a request so if I wanted to rent your beige jumper for example I would say okay hi I'd like to sp- you know, rent that fee for forty pounds a week, and then you would say yes or no, and then we would chat through um, through the website just as if you would on Airbnb. How did you know that this was going to work? Because I mean, in my opinion, I'm not used to renting clothes. I've never rented a clothing item before. So, how did you know that this was going to work? Did you spend any time testing it out? Did you run any surveys, or did you look at 
like a similar model, like Rent the Runway and just thought this is validated, it's going to work in the UK since no one else is doing it. Yeah, absolutely. I th- we did a bit of everything, to be honest. Um, so we obviously did a lot of research on, on what was happening in the States. What my view is that whatever happens in the US tends to hit, hit the UK kind of three to five years later where we're pretty behind the curve. Um, so we'd seen a lot of fascinating models come out of the, the US, um, some in Asia, some in Australia, um, on the, the more B2C rental model. Um, so we did that and then we basically spent a year of our lives, uh, my co-founder and I, in a basement coding this, testing it and doing as much research as we possibly can. I always say for those people, people you know looking to start a business the moment you can, you know everyone can tell you have a great idea but it's the moment that you can get people to to give you cold hard cash that is when you actually have a business um so we only launched to the public at a time that we had enough kind of test transactions and enough test users well they're real life users but testing the product and mm. um, that we were happy that there were kind of no holes in in our business model and did you do this while you were in your nine to five or were you doing this after you'd left your nine to five? So I, I did this after I left my nine to five. Um, okay. So I um, we spent the first year when we were building her, um, testing it and and doing as much research as we possibly possibly could do, but still having financial transactions go through our platform to kind of fund the growth of of what we were building. But my co-founder and I, because our emphasis has always been on the tech side of things, spent a year actually building it ourselves because obviously we didn't have the so budget. So were you actually? the one coding so my co-founder codes the back end and my kind of role and and passion lies on the product and the kind of ux and ui of the website so how how it looks and feels that's what i basically spent a year training up and learning how to do amazing so did you take courses or just like read things online a bit of everything i took courses i (laughs) took lots of people for coffees who were in ux and ui for kind of on-demand marketplaces um and taught myself everything i tried to get as much advice as i possibly could do um i when I look back at our original wireframes, I'm slightly horrified. Um, luckily, it has come along quite a way since uh, since I was in control of it. Um, but but as a startup, you have to get pretty creative about about yeah. how you're gonna how you're gonna build something. And did you decide to go that route because? Um getting developers and really anyone in tech is quite expensive and at that time you didn't have the funding is that why you decided to build it yourself yeah absolutely we decided to build it ourselves because owning the ip is the most important thing of a, of a kind of tech on demand you know, marketplace which is what we are and luckily we had the skills between the two of us to do so and exactly to your point um outsourcing website development for something that's as technical as our website our site is as functional as airbnb so um we weren't about to spend hundreds and hundreds of thousands of pounds um, taking a punt uh, on someone else building it for us. Amazing. And was your co-founder a coder from before or did he also just pick that up along the way? He had a background in scientific computing and code, um, which okay. is always very useful. Yeah. Um, but 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 he definitely got as much advice and, and we roped in a lot of people to help us along the way. Yeah. So going back to the money side of things, did you get investment before you launched or did you decide to launch, show some traction and go out to get investment or are you fully self-funded? So for the first year, year and a half of her, um, we were completely self-funded. Um, we both moved back in with our uh, with our parents um, so that we could afford to do so. And um, we both saved up money for when we had corporate corporate jobs. Um, and I, my big advice is, you know, even parting with a small amount of money really shows if you do go on to raise investment from angels or VCs or whatever it happens to be, um, 
when the entrepreneur actually pots with their own cash, I think it tells you a lot about how passionate they are, whether it's a really small amount of money or their entire life savings, which I wouldn't advise anyone to do. Um, I think it's really important that, you know, I mean, we're pretty motivated to, to make her a huge success, not only because, you know, we believe in it and we co-founded the company and we believe in the vision, but also obviously because we um, funded the whole year of development ourselves, which put us in a better place. Um, Going back a few steps um, to your question on on when we raised money, when we just had um, her as an idea and nothing more than a kind of power short PowerPoint presentation, um, we pitched the idea to several several investors um, who were in the kind of venture capital space, and they said, "Okay, this is a great idea. If you guys can get this right, um, come back to us in a year." Um, so that's exactly what, what we did. Um, we went back with a fully functioning MVP, which is what they called a minimum viable product in business terms of a, basically a not so glamorous version of how your platform works. Um, and then we raised money subsequently off the, the back of that, um, which has now allowed me to build. You know, at the beginning of this, of this year, we were a team of two. We're now a team of seven, um, and we'll hopefully be a team of 10 by the end of the year so it's gone from zero to 100 with not much sleep and in quite a short space of time yeah and you mentioned that your platform is different from rent the runway um could you kind of talk about your business model and how it's different and how you actually make money from the platform course so rent the runway and um, who are a billion dollar company they buy stock so they will go to a brand and they will say Hello, brand. I am. Uh, we're going to buy, you know, ten thousand pieces in those styles, and then the, you, as a consumer, would rent from Rent the Runway. Whereas in our model, um, we we're a tech company. We don't hold any stock at all. We provide the tech that allows users to connect with one another through our platform. So, on the one hand, if you're sat as Elizabeth in London and you've bought a three hundred pound dress and you've worn it once, you can actually monetize that dress um, and make your money off that, you know, back from that item. And on the other side, rather than spending three hundred pounds on a dress that you might only wear once, you can spend thirty, forty, fifty pounds renting it for um, seven days up to a month Um, and in terms of our business model more generally we don't have any listing fees or subscription fees we're a commission-based model much like Airbnb where we take a commission when a transaction actually goes through our platform. Okay and at the moment it's invite only platform right? No anyone and everyone can across the UK can sign up to use her we now have users all across the UK. It was initially an invite only, I believe. It was exactly. Okay. So we launched um, off, well, we basically used a waiting list system um, whilst we were still building and testing her okay. um, for our users to to invite their friends. Um, but we we grew it pretty slowly and steadily until we were happy that it was, you know, we'd ironed out all the bugs, so to yeah. speak. I think that's when I had come across the platform. Did you work with influencers initially, like fashion blogger influencers, in order to get the word out there? Absolutely. All of our influencers has been 100% completely organic. Um, And since we launched in February this year, um, we built a waiting list of close, well, just over 10,000 people now. Um, And then over the last couple of weeks and months, we've started to ungate that. Um, My mission for her is making sure that her is accessible and inclusive. Um, My background's not fashion, so we don't want her to be just for an elite London fashion set we want everyone and anyone to be able to use the platform and actually some of our top lenders are based in Suffolk and Brighton we have a big uh, community up in Newcastle so we're really now starting to, to build out kind of all across the UK yeah and so 
the lifeline of your business really is dependent on people coming onto the platform and actually wanting to sell or rent their clothing items rather. Mm -hmm. So how did you go about building that community, the community of sellers? And I guess, how do you also keep them happy and keep them engaged and making sure that they're continuing to sell? And then on the side of the customer, how do you make sure that they're also happy and they're getting their products on time and also getting products that are actually what they asked for so like good quality clothing products and not something that's a bit run down yeah it's a great question you're completely right the lenders in our business so the supply side is the most important part of our business it's the same in any on-demand marketplace whether it's uber or airbnb the supply side is key um, and it's something that we worked super hard on for our first year um, and part of the reason why we, we operated on a waiting list system was so that we could fast track supply so we would say okay you've signed up but if you've got things to list we'll fast track you so meant that by the time we started really scaling we had a couple of thousands of items that were really curated full of amazing pieces that we wanted um, to kind of form the base of our supply and now we're at a stage where we're getting kind of 100 to 200 new arrivals every day so um, we've we've slightly got past that chicken and egg problem of you know who's going to supply who's where's the demand um, because it is a problem in most peer-to-peer marketplaces um, and and a, a huge part of, of, of our business as well is um like, like you said, uh, influencer wardrobes, celebrity wardrobes, um, high net worth wardrobes, um, people that have amazing pieces that they've built up over the years. Um, and in terms of making sure that, that things go well, um, our site is completely peer reviewed. So everyone has a trust score that they have to hit to be able to rent on our site. And we use tech to, to, to profile that person. Um, and it's a bit like Airbnb. You can choose to rent your house to a stag party or a honeymoon couple. Um, it, it's very similar in terms of our, our users speak a lot before transactions go through the platform um, and you're under no obligation to rent out that item. So you could say, um, you know, yes, Elizabeth, you've got five star reviews and I can see Elizabeth's profile picture and her wardrobe. So you're going to be more comfortable renting to her. Um, so we kind of sit above the platform and make sure that things go right and that they go well and um, but it is ultimately between users and um, to to handle the process and the logistics yeah and have you had any challenges of people not returning items on time and if so how have you managed those We've been quite fortunate because our real focus has been on the tech, which means that we really know who the people on our platform are. We've really, really de-risked ourselves from from people who might, you know, play up um, on, on our platform. So everyone who, before they can rent on her, has to complete an ID verification process, at which point we, we know quite a lot about that person because a huge part of, of a peer-to-peer marketplace is trust, right? Whether it's Airbnb or Uber, you're getting into a car with a stranger or you're going to a stranger's house to rent to rent it for the weekend for example it's exactly the same for us so we have done everything that we possibly can do from a tech and product point of view to make sure that her is the most secure and uh, and trusted way to rent your wardrobe we have really it's taken us a, a while to get right but but as as a co-founder of the business the trust and security and making sure that things go well and go right and that we've got the right metrics in place if things do go wrong such as you know late fees for example and um, we've thought very long and hard about how we can make sure that every process and every kind of scenario we have a, a, a process in place for. So part of the uniqueness about your company is that you're not only empowering people to have a side hustle but you're also 
giving people the opportunity to shop sensibly. And that's where sustainable fashion comes into place. And it's been such a big trend, I guess, over the last couple of years. Why do you think people's attitudes have changed about the way that they're shopping? Yeah, it's a great question. I, I'd say I'd say that it's not a trend and that it's a huge movement. Um, I think lots of people think it is a trend. Sustainable fashion is not a trend. We're now at a place where fast fashion is being debating, debated at a parliamentary level because it is such a damaging industry from so many angles. So for us, it's got to be as cost effective for you to go on her and rent your outfit as it is for you to go down to the high street and buy the fast fashion knockoff. So you're completely right. We would much rather in our whole ethos is invest in better knowing that you can actually monetize that piece um which is hopefully we 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 think quite a clever take on rather than you you know your last minute panics you've got uh, a last minute date night tonight or you know someone was in our in our pop-up that we're running last night they had a an event at seven o'clock and we're in our pop-up at six o'clock you know, trying on dresses for that event. Um, you know, we we hope that that person has has not gone straight to the high street and has come into our pop up to rent that item, knowing that they they only want to wear it for a night or a week. So, um, we're really trying to combat it from that two pronged approach in terms of uh, trying to educate people that buying less and buying better is key and if they do want to buy buy better Um, and then on the flip side if you can't justify an item sat in your wardrobe that you you know you might only wear once or twice and if you're not going to get to 30 wears on that item it it just just try not to buy it I think it's it's a really clear message but you know for all the weddings that you've got coming up next summer for holidays and there are lots of reasons why why you might actually not need to buy things um, and you can just experience them and and use them for as much as you as you like but not having to actually own them yeah and so you just mentioned that you recently have a pop-up um could you kind of talk about why you decided to create that in real life experience and what the response has been like I guess with your lenders and also with the renters of course. Um, so we're running a pop-up in Belgravia in London at the moment. Um, we are here for, for well for the next six weeks, so all throughout November into the first two weeks of December. Um, and it's a really exciting time for us to be able to build our offline, well, our online community offline. Obviously, a huge part of our business is building a community of, of forward-thinking and, and like-minded people who really believe in what we're building. Um, and also to, to champion our lenders and put them at the forefront of our business because they have amazing wardrobes that we want to get lots of rentals for and really kind of you know profile them and their and, and their wardrobes um so it's been keeping us busy we've where well, we are running 30 events in the next 35 days um so there's a lot going on from you know sustainable fashion roundtables through to meditation and mindfulness and lots of her girls events we have a boycott black friday event coming up so it's a really exciting time for us to build our communities um offline I think what you've built is really amazing and the fact that you spent a whole year learning about UI and UX and your partner coding as well, everything from scratch is something that I think if I was an investor, I would be very happy to investing in terms of your level of commitment. But did you along the way have any mentors? Because I know you don't have any actual professional experience in fashion. Do you have any mentors? And if so, how did you go about getting them and um, how did they support you along the way? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, I, I'd say 
less mentors because I think the mentoring someone comes with quite a lot of burden I've mm, found yeah. um, but I found that most people even if they are CEOs from super successful businesses or if they are slightly lower level in a, in a startup but just have just as valuable experience um, no one says no to a coffee so that's what I've really focused on is who are the key I'd say I have probably five to seven people that I meet quarterly for coffees okay. um, and it's not as formal as a mentorship but it's just an hour an hour and a half of catch up and just quick fire straight into the nitty gritty what can we be doing differently and um, what's their advice going to be because my view is that no three pound coffee is wasted because you always yeah. take away something that is going to change the direction of your business or going to hopefully stop you going down a path that might not be correct so taking as much advice from as many people as you can do I think is really key um I feel quite supported in terms of, you know, having a great family and friends network. So I felt that I didn't need that support from a mentor. What I actually needed was was functional advice that was going to really change the way that we that we built her. So we're going into the segment of the show where we have someone from the community ask a question. And we've got a question from Rebecca. She's been working on her product for just over two years now. Um, It's also a tech product and she wants to know when she should go full time. I've got a tech product out at the moment that's doing really well. It's getting lots of traction, but not a lot of money. So the problem that I'm having at the moment is knowing if I should go full time and how to get funding and um, whether I should wait till I get to a certain point, you know, with the product and my business before I, you know, leave full time employment. Really love your advice. Well, I'd say it depends on how much traction is traction. My view is that any traction at all, if you have someone who is is giving their cold hard cash towards your business, you know, everyone can tell you've got a great idea. Even if Rebecca can get 10 transactions, 100 transactions, 250 transactions, you are in a really strong place to to raise money if that's what, what you want to do. Obviously, leaving a, a stable career is a massive massive risk and you want to be sure in yourself and also to be able to convey, convey that to someone if you're going to raise money um, that you really believe in it and that there is that traction there so my first piece of advice would be to, to define traction um, and then go out and sell um, try not to leave your full-time job until you have a you know a financial plan in place you know we we always said in our first year, right, we're going to give it a year. This is how much we're both going to invest into her in terms of our time, our effort and, and financially. And if it is not in X position with X transactions and X traction in our kind of own way of, of measuring that, we'll both consider different things because I think it's easy to to just keep building a product and not really sure what the end goal is. And I think the, the, the clearer you can be on the end goal, the better the decisions you will make. Um, to to go into that that's great advice so just wrapping up I guess what I'd love for you to do is just mention two challenges that you think well I guess from your experience that tech founders are likely to come across um, in the very early stages and how they can overcome that 
So I think it, the first thing is is credibility. If you don't have a, a tech degree, I think sometimes people question whether you're the right person to build the business. So proving that you are the right person to build that business is is a huge focus. I did a lot of online courses. You now have access to amazing courses online without you know, having to go to a university to study it for three years. So proving that you are the right person and that you are credible to build that tech company, I think is huge. Um, and then the second thing I, I would say is, if you're if you're not that strong and and I don't for one second pretend that that I'm the co-founder that, that I have the same skill sets as my co-founders so I think trying to identify where you're weak and what you're not good at and finding someone to fill those those gaps whether it's a co-founder or you know someone that you can go to for assistance is absolutely crucial so that there's really no part of your business that's left you know unturned in terms of you know there are no holes in the business so when when I come to see the business plan you've thought of absolutely everything and all those possibilities it's really crucial well thank you so much for your time and for all the advice and you've built something incredible in such a short period of time if our listeners want to find you could you just kind of let them know where your platforms are and how they can get involved absolutely so our website is www.hercollective.com and our instagram is at her just the four letters h-u-r-r thank you so much for your time my pleasure thank you Well, that's it for this episode of How I Made It Happen. For more inspiring stories, visit our website, fourworkingladies.com. Sign up to our newsletter and keep an eye out for our next event. Before you go, if you've enjoyed the podcast, please like and subscribe and also leave a review as it helps in finding our podcast more easily. Thanks for listening. (laughs) 